Welcome to another episode of Smug Buds, the podcast where we explain everything to the geese. My name is Will, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Elizabeth Deanna Morris Lakes. Hi, Liz. Hi, Will. How Hi, Goslings. Yes, and hello to the Goslings. I'm like way more dedicated to the Gosling concept, <laughs> I think, than Will is. I think you can tell where our priorities are by how we address each other and the audience. <laughs> I mostly want to catch up with you, and you mostly want to have a successful podcast. <laughs> I'm trying to like create a brand. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. One of us has to. <laughs> But really, how are you? I'm good. I, uh, I'm, it's cold. It's very cold here in Maryland. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, uh, terrible because I hate it so much. I'm sorry. (laughs) But we have a Christmas tree. It's, uh, we're recording this before in December. So it's before Christmas. We have a Christmas tree now. Mm -hmm. Um, we, it's got all its lights on it. We have a tree skirt now, uh, before. It's a it's a classic red with white trim, a la mm-hmm. Santa suit. Of course. Uh, it is better than what we were using before, which was a Santa suit-themed apron, <laughs> which I had just sort of tied at the base of the tree. Whatever works. Uh, so yeah, I'm doing uh I'm doing good. How's how's good old Arizona, as they say? Nobody says. <laughs> yeah, it's we, yeah. <laughs> uh it's good. Um I mean, it's uh nothing like where you are temperature-wise, but it's chilly by our standards. Um I started wearing uh my winter coat at the on basically on the 1st of the month and uh been wearing it ever since. But it's one of those things where I definitely need that coat when I leave for work in the morning Mm, and then mm -hmm. I keep a hooded sweatshirt in my office in case I need to go outside in the middle of the day, because in the middle of the day, as long as it's sunny, which it usually is, it's Mm -hmm. not very cold. It's not winter coat cold. That feels too heavy. So layers. I do have, um, I have, uh, an, a sort of update from out in the field. Please. I went Christmas shopping yesterday mm-hmm. and we went to the mall, uh, which is always exciting because I don't go to malls very often because I'm not a teenager yeah. in a mid-sized town. Right. And so uh, I was at the mall and I was looking at stores that I don't normally go into. Mm-hmm. And one of the stores I went into, uh, it wasn't free people or altered state, which is a Christian store, by the way. It's spelled a-L-T-A-R apostrophe D. Oh, no. <laughs> Altered? Altered state. Ugh. So it wasn't those two stores. I can't remember the name of it, though, but it was a store similar to that where there's a lot of, like, um, like flowy dresses and also knickknacks. Mm-hmm. I was in one of them, and I was buying a scarf thing for my mother-in-law, and there was... Sitting on one of the knickknack tables amongst pop sockets and novelty notebooks, Mm -hmm. a jade face roller thing. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. 
So I have not actually encountered an amber teething necklace in the mm-hmm. wild, but I did encounter one of these and I picked it up and I said to Kenny, look, it's one of these. And he said, <laughs> what's that? And I realized that he had not listened to the podcast that is not released yet. And so right. he did not know what I was referring to. Yeah. And presumably he hasn't seen the screenshots that you have sent me. No. Of the... <laughs> Facebook advertisements that you've gotten for exactly that sort of thing ever since you started searching for information about amber teething necklaces. Yes. I do. I just really do expect Kenny to have the full catalog of my knowledge in his brain. And when he doesn't, I'm surprised. And I would also say accusatory. (laughs) I'll say... You don't know that? And he'll say, you don't say that. He gets so mad. He's like, if I say, what's that? Or no, no, that's not what I'll say. He'll say, what's that? And I'll say, you know, you know, blank. (laughs) And he'll say, no, I don't, Liz. That's why I said, what's that? Yeah, that's why. You're not going to convince me that I already (laughs) have this information. Don't you remember? Yeah, I've definitely had that feeling with my partner as well. It's hard to make inside jokes when no one necessarily has a complete encyclopedic knowledge of what we are both on the inside of in terms Mm -hmm. of shared knowledge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a joke's no fun if you make a reference and then you have to go, that's what this is from. Yeah. Get it now? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Can I start over? The will, uh, something that, I feel like as part of the reason we started this podcast and yeah. the reason I so adore you is mm-hmm. because there have been multiple occasions where you've wanted to tell me a joke. And so you have said, mm-hmm. are you familiar with topic? And right. I've said, no. And then you've very patiently explained <laughs> to me an entire context, right. like a whole context yeah. over maybe 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So that you can then tell me like a three-minute story, which is the story you wanted to tell me initially. Right. Yeah. I do this a lot where uh, something will remind me of something usually that, you know, I've seen on a TV show a long time ago or something. And then uh, my instinct is to, you know, quote that reference. Mm -hmm. And I... Just got you like I, I grew up like watching a lot of the same things as the people that I was growing up with, and just quoting those things and trusting that the people around me knew what I was quoting because I know they'd already seen it. We mm-hmm. talk about it all the time, we watch these things together oftentimes. So, mm-hmm. and then I grew up and I was like, oh, okay, we don't, I don't have those shared references with everybody because. I'm not around the people that I grew up with anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, we moved on our separate ways and found new groups of people. And now I have to be like, hey, did you ever see this? No? Okay, well, I saw it. Here's what it was like. And here's why I'm (laughs) thinking of it. And this is the line that I wanted to quote to you. And it takes like five or ten minutes for what should have taken like two seconds with someone who has my shared reference points. So I'm going to give I'm going to give two s- small stories here Please. related to this and then yes. we should get into your episode. Sounds good. Um since you're leading today. That's uh the first is that when I was in high school I played frisbee for 2 years I played frisbee twice a week on Wednesday and on Sundays. 
um, with the same group of friends of, um, it shifted a little bit, but it was about seven core people and then up to 20 people would be playing. Mm-hmm. And we would play this game called BB where if you locked in, I don't remember how you locked in, like mm. you touched somebody's hand. Yeah. Um, and we were like older teenagers at this point, by the way. Some mm-hmm. of us were like 20. Yeah. You would say anytime you said a word that had a B in it, you'd say BB afterwards. And if you didn't, you could just get wailed on until <laughs> you said it. So, mm-hmm. for example, a sentence would end up, you know, you'd be talking in a group normally and a sentence would be something like, so I went to the bank BB today and tried to pick up a bunch BB of <laughs> uh, blueberries BB BB. And it, this was like how we would talk to one another. Mm-hmm. And... I don't talk to or hang out with any of the people with whom I played this game with anymore. Mm-hmm. To the point that people call each other BB to mean baby now on the internet. Oh, sure, yeah. And I at first thought that our friend, our friends Lauren and Brandon do this. Mm-hmm. And I at first thought they were playing an internet version of this game. <laughs> and then when I tried to explain this game, they were like, that's not a real game. You're making this up. <laughs> but then I felt like I was like, no, other people – like, I didn't come up with this. Other mm-hmm. people have to know about this game. Right. And I've tried to look for it, and I can't find it anywhere. I don't know who made it up. Oh, no. So that's the first story. And the second story is that for years I have been saying to Kenny if it's, like, a nice day outside or if he says, like, oh, it's a perfect day to go swimming or, like, it's a perfect day to sit inside and have a cup of soup, I'll say, yeah, it's a perfect day for a banana fish. Mm-hmm. and He'll, he didn't say anything. And for years, you know, we've been together for 10 years now. And for the first eight years, he did not say anything to me. And finally, he said, what is that that you always say? And I was (laughs) like, wait, what do you mean? And he was like, it's a, you always say it's a perfect day for a banana fish. And I was like, he did not know I was referencing the, uh, 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 J.D. Salinger story. Yes. Uh, which is, by the way, one of the most confusing short stories I've ever read in my life. I have no idea what's happening in that story. But, um, yeah, that he did, he didn't know. And for years just didn't say anything. And then I have to wonder, how often am I referencing things mm-hmm. that other people, because this has happened to me at work too. Yep. I made so many references to Sisyphus at work before my <laughs> boss finally said to me, what are you talking about? I was like, Sisyphus, the myth of Sisyphus? Like, Camus wrote a book about it. She was like, mm. Mm. I was like, how, how long, like, how long have I been saying things to you and right. you just assuming that you knew and you just nodded? Just gloss and over it. And you didn't yeah. know. Like, context clues are enough, maybe. Oh. Yeah. How do other people choose their moment to ask that question? Like, I've heard you say this 10 or 100 or 1,000 times. <laughs> Now's the time that I'm going to say, what is that anyway? <laughs> yeah, I think Kenny just finally, I think Kenny, it must have dawned on Kenny that I was um, referencing something. Uh-huh. I think he probably thought I was just saying just, words. Just being silly. Yeah. Yeah. That's always possible, I guess. All right. Well, on Smug Buds, in each episode, one of us takes the lead talking about a topic that we have a lot to say about. And the other one just has to be a good listener. And today, I'm the talker. And Liz, would you tell the goslings what I'm going to talk about, please? 
you're going to talk about tabletop games. That's true. Do you know what we mean when we say tabletop games? Well, so do you mean also? Uh, mm, mm-hmm. I'm wondering, does this include board games? Yes. But is it not exclusively board games? Exactly. And that is exactly the reason why I will use the term tabletop games, because I want to just say board games, but that wouldn't really be accurate. Mm. So it's a, a rectangle square situation. It is, or, a, or an umbrella. Table I, uh-huh. Tabletop is like an umbrella that encompasses board games, card games, and pen and paper role-playing games. That's mm-hmm. That's what I mean when I say tabletop games. So a little bit about my history with this subject. Uh, Obviously, I was a kid and like many kids, (laughs) board games were... You weren't born as an adult? Yeah, that's true. You 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 weren't born from your father's head after somebody, after he had a headache and somebody hit him with an axe? I'm here to dispel the rumors. There's been a lot of speculation. Uh, I was a child once. Even though most people who know me now didn't know me then. I was a child uh-huh. and like many children, uh, board games were uh, Milton Bradley and Parker Brothers type games. Uh, we had Monopoly. We had Clue. We played all the classics uh, in my home. And I was also exposed to sort of a similar but sort of a different type of game because uh, in my family specifically more so on my mother's side they would also uh, <clears throat> excuse me sorry <clears throat> they would uh, often have game nights mm. and the game nights were for the adults um mm. and we kids that by which i mean me and my cousins because i don't have any siblings myself but i have a lot of cousins and so we would be off on our own you know playing video games or something in the attic or in the basement while the adults were playing, for example, Trivial Pursuit, or like, uh, I think there was a game that came in a box called Battle of the Sexes or something like that. Oh, it yeah. Was often... That's another like party game. I mean, yeah. which I say party game as opposed to like, I mean, if we're talking about genre here, like, I feel like Trivial Pursuit is like sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely has that pretense. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, party games that come in a box and. I among my cousins I was the baby and uh kind of felt uh like an oddball sometimes and so I was curious about what the adults were doing and so uh I was sort of fascinated with uh watching uh people throw obscure questions at one another and then actually often actually knowing the answers and Mm. And as a kid, it's like, uh, you know, that's what intelligence must be like. Like, you know, for a kid, there's no distinction between like knowledge and intelligence and wisdom and, you know. And and like skill. Skill. And like yeah. be critical thinking. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to be smart and I thought, okay, if you know all the answers to Trivial Pursuit, you must be smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I sort of cultivated this relationship with trivia a little bit. Um, that took the form, it took several forms, but it took the form of me sort of inventing my own, uh, 
trivia games. Um, they were they didn't have game mechanics necessarily. They were just question and answers. It was very much like just trivial pursuit or, you know, without the board and the pieces. I mm-hmm. called them quiz offs. Uh-huh. <laughs> you sure did. I, <laughs> and uh, this was not about anything that you would find in Trivial Pursuit. It was not general knowledge. It was not anything that might make you seem smart. It was just about the things that I had a lot of knowledge about. So, for example, I remember quizzing my parents uh, with, you know, written down questions and answers uh, on The Simpsons. Um, and uh, there was one that was about SpongeBob. Mm-hmm. And probably most memorably Calvin and Hobbes Mm. Uh, among my cousins and uh, even one of my uncles uh, there was some shared affinity for for these things especially Calvin and Hobbes uh, and Spongebob too and also just this morning I remembered that I had a uh, poster I was thinking about future topics for episodes and thinking about the fact that I, it's it's almost 2019 and I'm I'm still playing Pokemon Go. Oh, you are? Yeah. We aren't friends. Oh, are you still playing too? You know, I am and <laughs> and I mean, maybe we just need to have a whole episode on Pokemon, both, I think like so. a shared episode on Pokemon. Yeah. But um I will say I'm I am playing I'm playing playing pretty aggressively and uh, sometimes my coworkers will see my my job is a gym, mm-hmm. and sometimes my coworkers will see me playing, and they'll say either, "Oh, you play Pokemon Go," or "You're still playing Pokemon Go," and I'll mm-hmm. say something like, "Yeah, but you're playing because like my I have a coworker who said, I who I said, yeah, but you're playing because you have children," and she was like, "Yeah," I said, "I'm playing because this has been my life for twenty years." <laughs> <laughs> And then I had another coworker who, I, again, said, "You're still playing." And I said, "If by still you mean since I was ten, yes, yeah, yes, that is what's happening." Yeah, we are very much at that age where Pokemon came onto the scene at just the right time to like mm-hmm. be a defining cultural milestone in our lifetimes. So I had Pokemon Go and also thinking about recording the podcast today, sort of rolling around in my head, thinking about these games and my obsession with trivia and i remembered that as a kid i had a poster in my bedroom mm-hmm. that just had uh all 151 original pokemon just nice. like not like a picture where like oh spot them and they're all in this picture like no the like they were like in order they yeah. were like an index like they were yes. with their number and their name in order and i remember um like trying to get my mom to memorize them like i would like point to <laughs> one and be like who's that and and this was so how sometimes the first thing i would do when i would like wake up just like you know number 72 did, who's that did she did she do it she played along yeah uh, did she retain any of that do you think I, probably not for long but day to day sometimes yeah nice and then uh, more recently, the manifestation of my trivia obsession was, uh, did did you ever play the Leonard Malton game with me? No. What's that? So um, 
a few years ago when I was still uh, in grad school in Ohio, one of the podcasts that I was listening to that I haven't listened to in a long time uh, was called Doug Loves Movies. Mm -hmm. It's a comedian, Doug Benson. um, And sorry, at some point I kind of uh, tired of his um, stoner uh, persona. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, he kind of stopped playing the Leonard Malton game, but in each episode of his podcast, which was also a live show, um, he would have a a panel of guests and they would talk about movies and then they would play the Leonard Malton game. Are you familiar with who Leonard Mm -hmm. Malton is? No. Okay. So when we were kids and probably earlier than that, uh, I don't know when exactly, but Mm -hmm. I remember being a kid and I remember at least one of my uncles having a copy of whatever was the most recent Leonard Malton guide to movies. Mm. Leonard Malton is a movie reviewer, a critic. And, and he would publish these like encyclopedias basically with his name and face on it. (laughs) And it would just be like, all the movies like up to that date. Oh wow! With his... so he was basically doing the work of Wikipedia before Wikipedia, right? Before we before all of this stuff was cataloged on the internet, he was collecting all of his uh, impressions of movies. Mm-hmm. So you know, you could look up a movie in the guide, and it would say how many stars he gave it out of five. And then probably just like a blurb from his Mm -hmm. review or something like an encapsulation. So uh, Doug Benson and his friends played a game with this guide where they would open it to a one of them would open it to a random page, you know, pick a random movie Mm -hmm. and then not say the name of the movie, but say the year and how many stars it got. And what the blurb said, as long as it didn't totally give it away. Yeah. And then the question is, my question to you, if I were hosting and you were competing, would be, how many names do you need in order to n- name what this movie is? And and the names oh. are the names of actors. Because the other thing that's in the guide is it lists the people who are in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so I would say... You know, this movie came out and this year it's got two stars. Leonard calls it, you know, a romp and a farce and blah, blah, blah. And there are 10 names listed. How many names do you bet? It's sort of like name that tune. Mm-hmm. Like how many you know notes do you have to hear in order to name this tune? And then you sort of go back and forth with the person you're competing with. Like you might say, oh, I can do it in 10. And they say, oh, I'll do it in nine. And so on and so forth until somebody says, okay, name that movie. Mm-hmm. And then you get the number of names. But it starts from the bottom. So you don't get to hear the most famous people. You get to hear from the least famous to the most famous. I've I've heard a, a, a podcast I listen to um, whenever it comes out, which is infrequently now, um, called Good Job Brain. Yes. is a trivia podcast. And they play a similar game on that where um, it's a little bit less – game showy than what you've just described yeah. but 
he'll basically have a theme mm-hmm. and then he'll say um he'll just say the names of the actors yeah from least notable to most notable and they right. have to try to get it but they don't have anything except for what the theme is to right. work off of yeah and that is something that would be incorporated into the game as it existed on the podcast because obviously mm-hmm. by the time they were playing it on the podcast they were not using a physical copy of the book they were using mm-hmm. it was cataloged on the internet there was an app for it at the time and uh instead of choosing the movies at random the host would create like categories mm-hmm. and the categories would give you a clue as to you know what the movie was about or maybe who was in it or something like that so uh, I loved this game so much hearing it on the podcast that I downloaded the app. I started making my own categories and I started playing this game with my friends in grad school. And this persisted for like a good year or something. God, I feel like what a blank space in our relationship. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, I guess, I don't know, maybe we weren't, we weren't keeping in touch as much at that time. Uh, which is part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast with you is because yeah. you're someone I want to keep in touch with. And I am very bad at that in <laughs> uh, pretty much 100% of the relationships in my life, including <laughs> the ones that have been really meaningful. They've just been kind of a blip. And then, oops, we had to move to different places and see you in 10 years, maybe. <laughs> Don't worry, Will. You'll never get rid of me. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I appreciate it, and 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 it and and the tools that we should have for keeping in touch—they're just—they're—they are unsatisfactory to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, this mm-hmm. this works like skyping, doing a project together. I love it, but like the alternative, which is like you know trying to keep in touch with someone through like Facebook or texting mm-hmm. or I don't know. It hasn't it hasn't worked out for me very well. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that's totally my fault. It's also the way that those things are designed. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, yeah, I got sidetracked. Uh, I was talking about the the Leonard Maltin game. So, um, that's a little bit about uh my history with uh that type of game, which I'll call a party game, trivia specifically. Getting uh, closer to the topic at hand of tabletop games, uh, let's actually return to the well of Pokemon, mm-hmm. because Pokemon was not only a video game and a TV series that I watched and so many other things. It was a card game. Yes. Did you ever play the card game or collect any of those cards? Oh, well. Mm. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, I don't know. If I've told you, but I cer- I don't think I've told our, our goslings that I had no friends for a very large portion of my life. Yeah. Um, and w- when I say large portion, um, I-, I would have like a friend, like a single friend mm-hmm. for like maybe a year, um, up until the time I was about 13, until yeah. I was in the seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Basically, in t- <laughs> you know, 9-11 happened and I really got some <laughs> friends. <laughs> Um, but before that, I, I truly was just, um, you know, I was hanging out with, 
my brother and his friends, mm-hmm. oftentimes who were my age. Yeah. Or I would have like one friend for maybe a couple months and that friend would stop talking to me. And I was incredibly, I mean, just, just deeply lonely in a way mm-hmm. that I have not forgotten. Yeah. And, um, why I do go out of my way to really um, foster a lot of the relationships I do have because I remember that feeling. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I would do is I would try to figure out something that I could do that would mean that I would have to spend time with yes. other people, right. hoping, hoping that they would then want to be friends with me. Mm-hmm. And let me say, this never worked. And I'm sure... <laughs> I'm sure it works for other people, mm-hmm. but this, and I'm sure it could have worked. Um, like I tried to join the Girl Scouts. They mm-hmm. ended up not ca- ever calling me back to join. They didn't want me. Yeesh. Um, I, uh, what else did I do? At one point, I really wanted to go to England for people to people. Um, which I, I wrote about in my essay and I thought, well, you know, if I'm with these p- two people for two weeks, at least for those two weeks, they'll need to be friends with nope. Nope. None of those people liked me. Oh. That did not work out. <laughs> so, um, one of the things I did was I played Pokemon mm-hmm. and I played the card game. And so I gathered a bunch of cards and then on Saturday mornings, I would go to media play mm-hmm. and I would, uh, play against the people there i was not good because mm-hmm. most of them were older than me not by a lot by mm-hmm. you know at the, now it's like we're all yeah. the same age but, but at the time at the time it was enough to yeah, make a difference and i would get the rare cards like mm-hmm. the special like you have to go to the tournament cards and mm-hmm. i loved that game and i was uh so bad at it and part of the reason <laughs> i was bad at it was because i didn't have anybody to play it with right yeah <laughs> No practice, yeah. I My memories of the Pokemon trading card game are more about collecting the cards than playing the game. I definitely mm-hmm. played the game, but uh, not as much as I just wanted to have the cards. Yeah. Um, and growing up, uh, as I said before, I'm an only child. Um, and I definitely got uh, most of the things that I wanted. And I was treated very well and I had an allowance and my allowance for years, I don't remember when this started and I don't remember when Mm -hmm. it stopped, but I remember that a common practice for years was that on the weekend I would get a number of dollars equal to my current age. (laughs) So when I was 10, I got $10 a week, et cetera. And I would mostly, I mostly remember uh, spending these uh, allowances on Pokemon cards, going to the local uh, hobby store that sold Mm -hmm. uh, baseball cards, etc. And they would sell not only, of course, booster packs, but they would have rare Pokemon cards in the little sleeve of mm-hmm. flimsy plastic which then itself would go into a, a second sleeve. sleeve of hard plastic and each of those would be anywhere from i don't know eight to at the upper side maybe twenty dollars or something like that mm-hmm. and i remember saving up to get like the charizard and that was like a very special moment mm-hmm. um so and i would and i had these uh uh like books almost like a book of plastic sleeves 
to keep the cards in and I had those and I would flip through those and uh, I, I loved collecting the cards and and I don't remember the gameplay too well. And maybe that's because uh, there was another trading card game and deck building game uh, that was... Uh, a, can I guess? Yes, please. Was it Magic? Yeah, it was Magic the Gathering. And that was a very special game for me for many years. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, I don't remember when it started, but I do remember that, and this was very rare, I had cousins on both sides of my family who were into this. Oh. Mostly my main influence and my main, you know, friend, person that I would spend, you know, all my time with uh, was a cousin who was a few years older than me on my mom's side of the family, but... I had another cousin about the same age on my father's side of the family who I saw less frequently um, just because of like geography and whatnot. Yeah, um, not because he not because you hated him right, or something. Not a matter of preference, <laughs> just a matter of who lived closer. Yeah. And uh, they they both played Magic the Gathering. And I sort of remember being exposed to it from both of them and nice. learning about it. And yeah, just immediately you know, diving into building decks and buying booster packs. And that was a game that I was really bent on, you know, building the best decks and playing and winning, you know, playing against my cousins and later also friends in high school. It persisted into high school. Um, And it would sort of be on and off. I would go through phases. We would play it. We wouldn't play it. Maybe a special video game would come out and then Magic would take a back seat for a while and then it would mm-hmm. come back. Um, I remember most a period of time. Uh, I don't remember how old I was exactly or what year it was, but somebody could probably figure it out based on what I'm about to say. Um, a time, at least a summer, maybe longer, when it was me and my cousin Andrew and we would just play Magic the Gathering over and over again, while listening to, over and over again, uh, the album The Con by Tegan and Sarah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> what a specific set of memories to have. Right? Yes, and isn't that <laughs> such an interesting, bizarre juxtaposition? I have a. I actually have a similar juxtaposition. Please. Which is that when um, I had graduated high school, like the week of finals week before I had actually graduated, but when I didn't have to be in school anymore, but my brother did, mm-hmm. I um, had downloaded an emulator so that I could play Pokemon Blue mm-hmm. and Boxer by the National had just mm, come out. Yeah. And so I have now these weird visceral emotions mm-hmm. about – even though the first time I played that game I was 10, I now very viscerally associate – that game with like the national, which is the, are these like sad, right. like, uh, orchestral songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a weird, yeah. That's a weird juxtaposition. Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> Isn't that fun though? And so interesting. I love. Yes. Just like creating a soundtrack for something that didn't have a soundtrack and, uh, or, you know, had a soundtrack, but a completely different one. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, just, yeah, creating that sort of indelible relationship in your mind that, you know, nobody intended. Like the other, and I know you'll relate to this. The Another example I can think of is um, playing Nintendo 64 games, specifically Paper Mario mm-hmm. and listening to Deja and Tendu by Brand New. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay i actually have one for deja too it was um playing that the year i started listening to brand new tetris had a plug and play come out Mm -hmm. of the original tetris that was um like the the joystick was like a tetris piece Mm -hmm. and it was in on a box that was like um like gray and sort of blocky like mm-hmm. the tetris pieces and that's what i yeah that whole winter break i played that and listened to deja yeah and and looking back on it it's almost as if someone from a later time was like writing a screenplay or something and they just <laughs> wanted to establish with visual and audio cues like this is the year you know 2007 or something like yeah. that <laughs> it's like okay well i guess he's playing paper mario and listening <laughs> to Tasha and tendu it's like um <laughs> what was that movie that came out that took like 30 years to film i'm exaggerating boyhood, boyhood. yeah it it's took like 12 boyhood. years to make 12 years not mm-hmm. 30 yeah I was really giving that guy credit. Well, maybe there will be a sequel, and it will have taken <laughs> 30 years to make. Man They're hood. not actually doing that, are they? You just I made know. that up. I, I did oh, make God. it up, and yet, you never know. Manhood coming. You heard it first, Gosling's Boyhood, the sequel. Mm-hmm. Manhood. Manhood coming in 2038 or whatever. So, um, have you ever played Magic the Gathering? I haven't. And in fact, um, my, my only experience with Magic the Gathering is that, um, it would be side by side with the Pokemon cards I right. was buying when I was doing that. And also, Kenny has a friend from high school who more than once now has purchased eight boxes mm-hmm. of Magic the Gathering cards and opened them all on Twitch. Yes. And had an Excel sheet mm-hmm. where he had put how much each pack was worth, like the rare cards in it, mm-hmm. and tried to work out. And I think he's done this twice now. He might have done it three times. Kenny and I have watched it twice, like mm-hmm. the whole way through. And the whole time, we're like, this is insane. Why mm-hmm. are we doing this? This is a bad idea. That sounds great to me. <laughs> and like something I wouldn't put it past myself to do (laughs) i will say that today magic the gathering i think of it as my relationship to it now is Mm -hmm. it is the one guilty pleasure that i will not allow myself wow because you're an ascetic ascetic a a do you know what i'm trying to say i think i do but I can't help you. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I'm sure our goslings will are tweeting at us, tweeting it at us currently. It's it's the one thing that I would love to spend time and money on, but I won't allow it because uh-huh. time and money are finite resources, mm-hmm. and you have to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I allow myself, you know, I buy video games basically whenever I want them. Mm-hmm. I buy comic books. I buy regular books. Mm-hmm. I go out to movies a lot and 
go out to dinner once or twice a week and I pay for certain uh, streaming services instead of uh, having cable. All the media that I want, I consume it to the extent that I have time and I don't really put limits on the money that I spend uh, on those things. But the one place where I've drawn the line is as much as I would love to keep buying magic cards, I won't do it. And I haven't done it in um, hmm, probably five to seven years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, it was a pastime among some friends and I uh, in college. And Sorry, I meant to say high school. I didn't uh, really play in college except when I would go home and play with my cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going to use this as a segue. Oh, right. High school. So, um, so I would play with friends, uh, in like the cafeteria and stuff before and after school. Mm -hmm. And there was also this thing, uh, in high school called games club, Mm -hmm. um, which I was not, you would think that I would be a big part of it, but I wasn't. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And so I don't remember if it was there the whole time when I was in high school or if it started late or what. But for whatever reason, I only occasionally went to Games Club. And I think I remember that it was one time I went to Games Club in my senior year of high school that I was first exposed to a specific type of tabletop game that I am going to have to figure out how to refer to this in a catchy, accurate way, because I want to say it's like a board game for grownups, or Mm -hmm. I want to say that it's like a nerd game or like an intensive Mm -hmm. game. It's like a, it's like a niche it's almost like a game for board game hobbyists. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking, of course, about... Do you have a guess? No. I'm talking, of course, about Settlers of Catan. Oh, yes. Actually, I should have known. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a lot of people's sort of gateway into the world of board games that you can't buy at Target. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, actually by now Catan probably is in Target, but you know what I mean? It is now, but it definitely wasn't 10 years ago. Yeah. Games that are outside of the Milton Bradley Parker Brothers mainstream. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that was like a revelation for me. Interestingly enough, I don't think I've ever played Catan since then. Really? Yeah. I think the only time I played it was in high school. Oh, wow. I didn't find out about that game until college. I played it in college, and then there was a good five years where I lost every single game I played of this, <laughs> where to the point where I was just screaming because I kept trying to, like, adjust my strategy mm-hmm. and would fail, would then fail. Right. Yes. Um, I have since won a game. Another way of I would characterize the, the type of game that I'm trying to describe when I talk about Catan and the like is it's the type of game that inspired uh, the episode of Parks and Recreation where Adam Scott's character creates the Cones of Dunshire. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) Yes. It's that type of game. It's sort of intensive 
and it's sort of obscure and uh, it w- I forgot about the point of this game. <laughs> it's, it's the, the cones. cones. Yeah. <laughs> so Catan uh, was a really interesting first experience. I was like, oh, I didn't know that like board games could be this uh, mm-hmm. like fun and interesting and uh, too complicated for a kid to learn, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember... Uh, even though I only played it maybe once or twice in high school, I remember like the resource trading and I remember being like wood for sheep, wood for sheep. (laughs) And that's a funny thing. That's like a funny enough thing that you don't forget. One of the resources is sheep. (laughs) Funny. So in college, you said that you played Catan in college and we knew each other in college, but we were not in the same Catan playing circle because throughout college, mostly the games that I were playing were party games. They were like catchphrase, uh, say anything, the game of things like that type of game. That's like, it's easy to drink and play. It's, you know, it's, it's well, and you know why I was playing this game in college right do you remember this there was a games club at su wasn't there there was the gaming club right and i Mm -hmm. was president yes right (laughs) so besides Catan, what was the gaming club doing we so for the record i sort of stumbled upon this Mm -hmm. and then it was given to me and then i had to force it onto someone else Mm -hmm. uh because i didn't want to do it anymore yeah but um, it it was a club where we all played board games, and at first we didn't have – and they were mostly board games that we were playing initially, and we didn't have any. And then basically Dan, who had been the president before me, went in front of the uh, council – there was another mm-hmm. term for it – but the council and um, requested this insane amount of money that we needed – um, and said in the budget that we needed all this money so we could host chess tournaments, which I don't mm-hmm. think we ever actually even played chess. Mm-hmm. And we ended up getting not anywhere near what he had requested, but we got something like seven. I think we got seven hundred and fifty dollars, mm-hmm. which we then spent on seven hundred and fifty dollars worth of board games. That's a dream. So, so yeah. So we then had this locker mm-hmm. uh, that we had a locker in the the student center, and so we had. Um, we had settlers. Um, we had other other games like that, but nothing that was otherwise too far off. Like we had Scrabble. We had God. I I just remember playing a lot of Scrabble. Hmm. Um, and there were other games that I can't remember off the top of my head. But then the other thing we would play was uh, Werewolf. Yeah. Uh, which is a not a board game and mm-hmm. also not even a tabletop game. Right. Um, and we would play um, Assassins, mm-hmm. uh, which was not uh, also neither of those things. It was a campus-wide game where you'd be um, – I don't even totally remember the wor- rules. But you'd be assigned somebody and then you had to assassinate them um, within like a week or something and right. not also not be assassinated. Yeah. So we, we were playing a wide – a pretty wide range of different sorts of games. Werewolf but, um, and Assassins, those are games that like did not come in a box. Those were just – We just – yeah, we just like knew yeah. – like it was like oral tradition. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. And there are – Oh, and we would we would play a game called Mao. Okay. 
which was a card game where every time there was like a couple this was a game that i had brought um because i had mm. learned this from my frisbee friends you would have mm. a deck of cards a standard deck of cards mm-hmm. and you'd put down a card and then for depending on what card it was uh you had to um do certain actions mm-hmm. so let's say if you put down a spade you'd have to say spade mm-hmm. um but then it would be like all but then and then you wanted to be the last person to put down your card. And if mm-hmm. you had one card left, you had to say Mal. Right. And then um, af- if you won that round, you then got to add a new rule. So you oh, could right. then say, you could then say, okay, I won. So anytime you put down um, an odd number card, you have to like wiggle your nose. Yeah. And so you'd play enough times mm-hmm. that you were suddenly doing like, all of these ridiculous things yeah. and it got very complicated very quickly. Right. Yeah. I did not remember this when you called it Mal, but I think that I did play this at least once. Um, maybe not with you and the group that you did, but uh, that. And also I'm not totally familiar. sure. Like we called it Mal, but like it was more like meow. <laughs> yeah. I might've played it by a different name. I'm sure it has a different name. Yeah. I don't know where the name that I got it from came from. Yeah. So that is just to say that uh, my current relationship with tabletop games grew not so much out of college, but most, and not even grad school, but mostly since I moved to Arizona and some Mm -hmm. of the friends that I've made out here, some of whom, you know, some of my friends that I have here, I knew in college, but others I met through them. And uh, you visited us here in Tucson uh, a couple of years ago at this point. Um, Yeah, because I was pregnant. That's right. Yeah. Very barely pregnant. Right. But knowledgeably pregnant. Yes. Pregnant enough, I told all y'all. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, though, if we're being realistic, I would have told you anyway. Yeah. I I remember some of the activities that we did while you were visiting, but I, I can't recall. Did we play any games? We played Haunted House. It's okay. not called that. Yes, but it basically <laughs> What is it is. actually called? We it, just called it Haunted House. It's called uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And this was, for me, also kind of a gateway game. In the way that Settlers mm-hmm. of Catan was a gateway game in senior year of high school. Although, I guess in hindsight, I didn't really fully move through that gateway it was just an Mm -hmm. introduction to this possibility that games like this existed um in uh the year that i lived in tempe arizona rather than tucson Mm -hmm. we played betrayal at house on the hill for the first time and that was the sort of experience where uh we played it with friends who had the game and now that we had played it, it was like, okay, well, we're we're definitely going to get this game for ourselves because mm-hmm. we want to keep playing this. Um, and it is a game that is for up to, I guess it's for, I was about to say up to six people, but I guess it would be more accurate to say three to six people. Mm-hmm. And the idea, as you know, as you remember, because you've played it, Yes, but our goslings maybe not have. Exactly. For the goslings, I'll explain that the point of betrayal is basically to simulate uh, being in like a B-grade horror movie. 
you play as one of six characters and the group of you are going into an unfamiliar house. And at first, the point of the game is to just explore the rooms in the house. And <clears throat> until something in your gameplay triggers a special type of event uh, called the haunt. And then basically, every time you play the game, the haunt is different and the rules are different and the winning state is different and who's competing against who will be different and it is so fun because it is a triumph of aesthetics mostly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um the way that the game is laid out it's not on a board uh it's on tiles Every room because it changes the it changes the layout of the house exactly. Every room in the house is a square tile, and you shuffle up the tiles, and you explore the house by going into you know empty spaces on the table and then turning over a tile, and then you're in that room. So every time you play the game, the layout of the house is going to be different. The number of rooms which rooms are in the house they're all going to be different they all have different uh things that they trigger you might draw an event card and something happens to you and it might be good or it might be bad or you might draw an item card and then you have that item and it might be useful later or you might draw an omen card and the omen cards are the things that can trigger the haunt and mm-hmm. cause the game to go into this new state of like okay you consult a book And it says, okay, I drew this omen card in this room. That means it triggers haunt number 22 out of 50. You flip to that page. There's a lot, right? There are 50. In the original game, there are 50 unique haunts. And then later they released an expansion that added 50 more. Mm -hmm. And it also came with some new omens and some new uh, room tiles. So... The reason that I point out that it's a triumph of aesthetics is that that is the source of the fun to me. The source of the fun is the pretense of it's like a horror movie. We're exploring a haunted house. The tiles are cool. The characters are neat. It gives you an excuse to do like a little improv- improvisational role playing like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm the... I'm the professor and and this is my reason for being in the house, blah, blah, blah. That's how we start every game when we play it. Uh, and um, besides that, uh, the the haunts themselves are, are inter- funny and interesting. So like when you re- get to read like, oh, you know, w- w- the event that you've triggered is, you know, one of you is actually secretly a werewolf and it's the full moon and this is how the werewolf wins, you know, by killing and eating everyone. And this is how the humans can win. And this is how you have to kill a werewolf. You have to go to this room, you know, mm-hmm. to get this, you know, special gun and a silver bullet or something like that and kill the werewolf with it. Um, all of that, you know, description uh, and the look and feel of the game is really fun. The gameplay itself is kind of a drag. <laughs> and that's why i can't give betrayal like a full like 
full-throated, wholehearted, 100% recommendation because mm-hmm. basically what it comes down to almost always, it just comes down to dumb luck, who wins and who mm. loses. So it's not the type of game that you can feel competitive Strategize. about yeah. or like feel pride when you win. Um, a lot of the actual like what you will do when you play the game is rolling dice. And a lot of times in the end, it just becomes really repetitive. It's just like, okay, on your turn, go here, roll the dice. Oh, you didn't roll high enough. And it keeps going like that over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And the survivors will sort of die off one by one. And oftentimes the game will just keep going after one player is dead and can't play anymore. And a lot of the haunts are not very balanced so that it seems like it's impossible for one side to win over the other side. Mm -hmm. So aesthetically, I love it. It's great. It's so much fun. But gameplay wise, it's like, okay, you have to go into it knowing that like, okay, the reason we're playing this is it's funny. Like it's, it's funny to like play these characters and see what tiles we turn up in the house and like read what the haunt is and like pretend to be a werewolf or whatever. But like, then it just becomes rolling and rolling and rolling dice and it kind of the peters out. And it sounds sort of like a, um, like a pulp novel. Yes. Yeah. That's the other thing you could definitely compare it to. Yeah. We're like, you're not going into that sort of experience, um, expecting something that is, um, incredibly layered and nuanced mm-hmm. and complex and worth revisiting multiple, multiple times. Right. And in fact, if you read a lot of them, it gets repetitive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They also uh, came out with a sequel to Betrayal at House on the Hill. It's called Betrayal at um, Baldur's Gate. Mm. It's basically the Dungeons and Dragons version of Betrayal. Instead of exploring a haunted house, you're exploring a village and everything Mm -hmm. has like a Tolkien-esque fantasy theme instead of a horror theme. Nice. And uh, yeah, it's it's good and not so good for basically all the same reasons. Mm -hmm. And what was I going to say about that? There's a new, there's an even newer version of Betrayal that I haven't played and I probably won't play called betrayal legacy and i think that what makes that game different is that it takes a crazy long time Mm. like it it is betrayal for like really devoted board game players who like long campaigns you know you Mm -hmm. just spend a whole day playing this one game oh yeah i was going to transition from betrayal betrayal at Baldur's gate to talking about D D a little bit Oh, yeah, because you guys played that for a while there. We did. We played it for about a year and a half. Um, Mm -hmm. I was dungeon mastering. Uh, I was really just doing it for fun. I did not know what I was doing. Uh, It makes me very sad uh, that I had no Dungeons & Dragons in my life uh, growing up. I think I would have loved it as a kid, but... Uh, it was just not something that any of my friends uh, were doing, so I was never exposed to it, except for hearing about it. 
I mm-hmm. never learned how to play it. It wasn't until I moved to Arizona that uh, my girlfriend Dana had some friends who played it and uh, Dana played it with them. And then uh, I learned the basics for it from that. Mm-hmm. And then when we moved to Tucson, I was like, oh, that, you know, it was fun. I want to do it more. I think I have an idea for what a campaign would look like if I were running it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't use, you know, I guess what a beginning dungeon master would often do is use like a campaign that's already written by somebody that's available. But I didn't do that. I didn't use any worlds or maps or anything that existed already. The only thing I used were, you know, I had documents that said the rules and had like monsters. So I used like mm-hmm. preset monsters and stuff, but the locations and the characters and the story that were all, we were all just um, inventing it together. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and we, it was basically just a fun improv game. We were making each other laugh. Um, and uh, we never uh, really ended the campaign. It just kind of fizzled out. Yeah. Um, one day we'll probably go back to it and wrap it up, but, uh, we just, uh, moved on to other activities and, uh, some of, some people, dumb podcasts. Yeah. That's, you know what? You're right. Because we would get together on Sundays usually for Dungeons and Mm -hmm. Dragons. And in a lot of ways, yeah, this is kind of the, the podcast has replaced it. I mean, the, Mm -hmm. the, you know, there was a big gap between when we stopped playing Dungeons and Dragons and when we started doing this podcast, you and I, but yeah, they are sort of in the same, uh, box in my brain, filling the same Mm -hmm. slot in the, uh, Excel spreadsheet of my mind. (laughs) Um, did we, did we play any other games while you were visiting? Did you play anything with, um, our, our friends you were staying with or. I was staying with you. Yeah. You didn't spend any time uh, uh, Kim and Andrews. Mm-mm. Oh, okay. I was thinking of somebody else who was visiting us. Sorry. Yeah, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, no. Andrew just gave me some pickles. Um, <laughs> I I went over and he said, "Would you like to try a variety of pickles?" And I was like, "Oh my gosh, I've just met you, but we're already mm-hmm. friends." <laughs> yeah. Um. No, I don't think we played anything else. Mm. I I have um, I've played a couple of games recent sort of recently here um are you familiar with a game called munchkin i haven't played it but i've heard of it it's it's interesting it's a similar um it's like you have a lot of it's like a battle game that's not Mm -hmm. like a great i don't know the actual words for these things but yeah you're like sort of um trying to build things up so then you can eventually fight and win um your your cohort Mm -hmm. um and then we've um, recently acquired – not recently. Within the past couple of years, we've acquired a game called – oh, God. There's one – we call it the Panda Game. It's similar <laughs> to Catan, mm. but the premise is that you're in Japan and you've mm. been given a panda <laughs> as a diplomatic gift. Yes. And you have to um, – you have to complete little missions on different cards um, – while this panda's going around and eating bamboo mm-hmm. and you're also trying to irrigate the the garden yeah. um and then ticket to ride we started playing recently mm-hmm. um and then we play a lot of trivial we played trivial pursuit on friday nice and got the infamous uh 
Batman card. Do you know about this? I don't think I do. We had seen this on Twitter, but when we were playing on Friday, we actually got this card for the first time uh, where <laughs> it's a card that says, which of the following actors have not played Batman? And it <laughs> says, like... Oh, I think I do know this it, because one of them is Ben Affleck, right? Yes. And by now and he so, has. But at the time yes. when it was written, he had not. Like. And the version that we have is, if not the most recent, then when we got it, it was the most recent, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it's not like a specific, it's like just the general mm -hmm. Trivial Pursuit. And um, and when Kenny got it and it was my answer or my question, he was like, this. And I went, <laughs> is it the Ben? I was like, is it the Ben Affleck, Batman, Ben Affleck question? Like, I knew immediately just from his, like, his, like, heavy disappointment. That's so funny. Yeah, I, I needed to be reminded of that, but I have seen that, uh, mm -hmm. online. Um, so, uh, we're running low on time. So I just want to run through. I made sort of a list of recommendations, but I just, oh, yeah. I also want to say, you brought up that panda game and what you made me think of when you were saying that is maybe one of the things that I love most about these tabletop games that we're talking about is um, the sort of pretense of them. The sort of like, this is what it's supposed to be about. Yeah. Even though like yeah. where, where a lot of games break down for me, like, I was saying with Betrayal, where they break down is sort of like, okay, what you're actually doing might mm -hmm. sort of turn out to be boring. And even Pokemon is like that. Like Pokemon, I'm not talking about the tabletop game, the card game now, but like most of, you know, the core video games, like, you know, I loved them. I grew up with them, but they're very tedious. They're just repetitive they are just doing the same thing over and over again. And it's a, you're basically doing a lot of math that you can't see. Yes, and basically it requires a lot of patience, which gives the illusion that it's a challenge, but it's mm -hmm. not actually challenging to play. It's just time-consuming. Mm -hmm. Which is why I was good at it. Right, and also <laughs> I should just give a little bit of credit to Aaron Hansen from The Game Grumps because I don't think that I would be saying what I'm saying if he hadn't already said it. I've heard him say it, and I agree with him. He, He's been... You know, I think we both love Game Grumps, and part of the reason that we have Smug Buds is because it is a, a bit of an homage to that mm -hmm. uh, construction of a title, yes, uh, of a of a of a um a name. Hey, I'm but... Smug, and you are <laughs> not so smug. And we're the Smug and Buds. And we're the Smug Buds. Mm -hmm. Um, that won't get copyright infringed, right, guys? <laughs> you love you we're love not, your fans. We're not putting this on YouTube. Yeah, um, but I know that I've been watching them play through in terms of game design i've been watching them play through skyward sword which mm -hmm. is a game that i got stuck on multiple times right and um and now i'm stuck to the point that i actually do not think i will get past this one point and mm -hmm. i don't think that they've gotten to that point yet mm -hmm. but in the game but um he's aaron um uh, famously hates this game. Yes. Uh, he thinks it's terrible. Mm -hmm. And he's been talking a lot about this. And it's made me realize a lot of the um, constructs of the game design and when it when it works well and when it doesn't work well in a mm -hmm. way that has been very useful to me. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, it, you know, there's only it, some of those things are really repetitive. 
Um, and some of them are also really um, classic and specific to Zelda, mm-hmm. but it's also something that Zelda has done you know, a million times. Right, exactly. Yeah, it feels a little bit silly to say because Game Grumps is uh, mostly a very silly uh, exercise in entertainment, but I do feel like I'm learning a little bit of something about game design by watching Game Grumps and Mm -hmm. uh, watching Aaron's old sequelitis videos and following Aaron on um, Twitter. I was thinking of recently, he was talking about, on Twitter, he was was tweeting about... um, Pokemon Let's Go, and he was basically defending the new Pokemon Let's Go games for the Switch because some people look at those games and think that it's like a dumbing down of the core version of Pokemon. Um, And he was basically saying that um, Pokemon Let's Go affords like a lot more uh, variety and the pacing is better. And Mm -hmm. uh, he was saying that the core Pokemon games have that um, repetitive quality that like he's always, he's often saying he said this about Zelda games too, about Ocarina of time. It's like, Oh, the way that you fight this enemy is just waiting for an opening and that's not Mm -hmm. challenging. It's just time consuming and, and making you be patient makes it seem like there's a challenge, but there isn't really, uh, Mm -hmm. it's just waiting. So um, I got into that because I was trying to say, where a lot of these tabletops tabletop games break down for me is what you're actually doing and and what is attractive about them to me is often the aesthetics of them what they are yes. supposed to be about you know what the art looks like mm-hmm. and and what the pretense of a story is like mm-hmm. you are going into a haunted house with a group of friends or strangers um, or you, 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 as, as you said, you you've been given a panda as, as a diplomatic gift, which is like, <laughs> that. what a great idea for a game. I was, I, there, I'm going to mention a game that I haven't played yet. And then I'm going to get into the recommendations that I promised. I was yes. shopping for a friend who, uh, has a lot of games, uh, like the ones we're talking about. And I was researching new games and seeing what was new and what was well-reviewed and I found this game, which I'm going to talk about, but I haven't played it and I haven't found it. So I haven't bought it for him. I bought him something else, <laughs> but I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about this game called Sakura. I think it's called Sakura, S-A-K-U-R-A. Wouldn't that be Sakura? Maybe it's Sakura. Sorry. Um, well, let's go with that. Who knows? Uh, it is. A- I'm sure Twitter does. Yes. Yeah. Let this is know. me assuming that we have people that are going to be angrily tweeting at us. <laughs> if if we have listeners, then we'll have tweeters. It's bound to happen. <laughs> uh, the game Sakura, Sakura, whatever you said, the game is a, is a, a, a press your luck kind of game where mm. uh, everyone competing mm. in the game, you are uh, you are a portrait painter. <laughs> and the object of the game is to get close enough to the emperor that you can paint the best portrait of him, <laughs> but not so close that he notices you. That's the press your luck element to the game. And I'm like that premise is like so fun and interesting that I really yeah. wanted to pick up that game. So, uh, okay. So recommendations and I'll talk a little bit about the uh, premise or and or the gameplay of these. And I've I've broken them down by how many players you might have. So if you'd have only two players, 
I would most recommend the game Splendor. Um, Splendor is actually for two to four players. The, mm-hmm. Basically, the premise is that each of you is a gem merchant. <laughs> uh, and you are trying to collect the most valuable gems. Um, it's like a drafting game uh, of sorts. Uh, there are cards to collect, but they cost gems. And the gems are these little round discs that are mm-hmm. very colorful and they just mm-hmm. have like the perfect size and weight to them. And uh, it's just very pleasing to, you know, pick them up and fiddle with them as you would like a coin or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, that game is a lot of fun, even if you have only two people playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, for three players, I would recommend Biblios. This is another game that's for two to four people. Actually, come to think of it, two might be too few. But actually, yeah, it's probably two to four. Anyway, that's why I say mm-hmm. it's for three players. Um and Biblios is a game where you, uh, I think you, I think you might be a monk and you are trading in texts, like ancient oh. texts. <laughs> and so there's two rounds and one ra- in one round you draw cards and you have to um, pick one for yourself and then make the other cards that you draw available for the other players to pick up. And Mm -hmm. in this way, you get like a hand of cards. And then in the second round, um, some of the cards from the first round have gone into a pile where they will be auctioned off in the second round. So in the second Mm -hmm. round, you um, take turns uh, bidding on cards that are being auctioned off. And the books, you know, that are signified by the cards, they have uh, different colors and the different colors have different values that you can change with certain cards that you can play. So you can make red, you know, more or less valuable, depending on whether you're collecting red or you think that your competitor is collecting red, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Biblios is fun. For four players, I recommend Castles of Mad King Ludwig. uh we're getting really into like cones of dunshire territory when i talk about Uh uh this game this is um this is new to me i've only played it like two or three times but um it's also a sort of drafting game the pretense is that you are an architect i'm sure there's supposed to be a specific century in a specific place in the world but i don't remember what it is i just remember you're working for a king, Mad King Ludwig, who is responsible, I think, for a real castle called Neuschwanstein or something like that. Mm-hmm. Very famous castle. Mm-hmm. Um, the king wants a castle built and you're responsible for building it. And the king has very specific desires and for what is included in the castle. And those s- desires are selected randomly. So it's different mm-hmm. in each game. So in this game, you know, the, maybe the king wants lots of long hallways or he wants, you know, lots of, you know, this specific size of room or this specific shape of room or this specific category of room, like a dining, lots of dining halls or lots of entertainment halls or something like that. So the gameplay is basically um, the, the rooms are tiles, not unlike betrayal except in betrayal they're all uniform squares and in castles they're all different shapes and sizes and you draw tiles randomly and then whoever is drawing the tiles that turn 
assigns them a value and then you go around um, buying tiles for whatever mm. value they've been placed at. Um, and, uh, whatever you, whatever room you buy, you place into your castle. And so it's also this like building game where like you start with just this little foyer tile, but then you have to connect the rooms, you know, physically you have to, you know, match doorways to, to doorways. Fit. Yeah. And, the, and yeah, it has to, it's almost like a little bit of a Tetris game. Like it has to fit into your castle somehow. I'm trying to think there's like another, maybe I'm just thinking of dominoes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there's another game like that, that I, I know about already, but maybe I'm yeah. just thinking of dominoes. No, it's a little bit like that. Yeah. Um, for five players, if you have five people, you have the perfect number of players uh, for a game called Sheriff of Nottingham, mm-hmm. which maxes out at five players, which is uh-huh. kind of weird. Yeah, it's a weird number. Most games max out at four or six, uh, or they don't max out at all. Uh, yeah. Sheriff of Nottingham maxes out at five players. It is a bluffing game. Oh, I don't normally like bluffing games. I don't entirely like this one, but <laughs> I'm recommending it anyway, just because I'm recommending by number of players and five is the mm-hmm. perfect number for Sheriff of Nottingham. Basically, you go around in a circle taking turns being the sheriff and wow. everyone else who is not the sheriff is putting cards from their hand into a little bag. <laughs> this is where aesthetics come into play. Aesthetic. Yes, the the little bags are wonderful to to put cards in a card sized bag. Uh, oh yeah, that you know you can't see through. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's really fun, and so everyone hands their bag over to their sheriff uh, one by one, and you say to the sheriff, "In this bag are three chickens." and that's a bluff or it could be a bluff or it could not be Uh a bluff and then the sheriff goes through each one deciding am i going to take you at your word and let you get this through or am i going to open your bag and see if you were telling the truth and if the sheriff opens the bag and you were lying then you can't get what you wanted to get through through to the market and you have to pay a penalty. But if the sheriff opens it and you were telling the truth, then the sheriff has to pay you a penalty. So there's a risk for the sheriff by trying to call someone's bluff. Um, And you are trying to bluff the sheriff because you are trying to get valuable contraband through the Mm -hmm. sheriff and into the market where it'll be worth more points at the end of the game. For six players, I was going to recommend Betrayal at House on the Hill or Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. We already talked about that. For seven people, I recommend Seven Wonders. Have you played Seven Wonders? Mm, No. Seven Wonders might be my favorite of all of these games. Seven Uh Wonders is a drafting game. I've already used that term, but do you know what I mean when I say drafting game? No, I was going to ask. So basically... And if you play Magic the Gathering, you might do this. What your friend was doing in those Twitch unboxing videos, mm-hmm. people do um, with a group of friends and they do a draft where they buy a bunch of ma- uh, Magic cards that are, you know, random. And then, you know, they will each pick up a booster pack and a booster pack contains maybe like 15 random cards. Mm-hmm. And they'll all simultaneously open a different booster pack and then they will pick the card that they want out of it. 
and mm. then they will pass the remaining cards over oh. and then repeat until there are no more cards left. So it's like a card circle jerk. Uh-huh. That's really well put, and I'm sure <laughs> that any designer of a game like this would love to hear that. <laughs> um, Seven Wonders works exactly that way. You get a hand of cards, you pick the one that you want, and then you pass the rest to the person next to you. You get mm. past a hand, and it continues like that until there are no more cards, and then you do this three times. Mm. And at the end of each round you do a little tally but what's especially fun about seven wonders is that you don't you unless you are really paying attention to everything on the board which mm -hmm. with seven people which is obviously not surprisingly the max number of people seven mm -hmm. um that would be like impossible you basically don't probably don't know who's winning until you get to the end and you tally up what everyone and yeah picked. unless you're like a card counter when you're yeah. one of those people right exactly so so it's called seven wonders because the idea is each person is playing as a different wonder of the ancient world mm. and the idea of the game is to build up your civilization however you see fit so some of the cards are blue and those are civics cards, and those are like statues. And Wait, is this just like a card game version of Civilization? <laughs> I guess so. I've never actually played Civilization. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I know. Dude, you gotta... I got it for Kenny on the Switch for his birthday. It takes a long time yeah, to play. Yeah, that's kind of the reason that I haven't played it. I never... But you can you can start and stop. Like, we, we mm -hmm. start and stop. Oh, we'll yeah. play for like an hour and then... Definitely. Yeah. I never really got into any sort of like real time strategy games. They, they... Civiliz Civilization is, as far as I'm concerned, a, co a board game. Okay. Yeah. Except that it's digital. Uh huh. Yeah. That makes which, sense. But like in terms of like the way that you have to um, make decisions and like. It's just doing a lot of math that would be yeah. terrible to do in real time. Right, right. Yeah, there's something about like um, that type of game where you have to make a decision and then you might live with the consequences, regretting them for like hours. It's like, yeah. that's the type of game that makes me go like, oh, I just, I just want to quit and start over as soon as something goes wrong. And so I never uh -huh. got into that type of game too much, but... Um, in Seven Wonders, you, you know, draft a card from the hand and it might be, uh, red cards are military. And if you build up your military, you can earn points. Um, mm -hmm. you, they might be green cards and those are sciences. Uh, and then yellow cards are like trading posts. And, um, all of these cards require resources. So it's like not unlike Catan or something like that. You have to. Well, you just have to. You're just describing civilization. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That... You just got to play civilization, man. Okay. Yeah. Or maybe the people <laughs> who are playing civilization need to play Seven Wonders. It's true. It's and it'll true. be over in 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Seven Wonders is probably my highest recommendation, maybe rivaled only by this is going to be my final recommendation. Mm -hmm. If you have eight players, uh -huh. you have a good number of players for code names. The oh, have you played code names? I I have, but not with eight people. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I just said eight because um, really, 
four, I think probably six. Six is actually the ideal number, but I was going through the numbers two through eight and yeah. six was the right number for betrayal because yeah. betrayal maxes out at six. So yes, basically, if you have four or ideally six or eight people, you have a very good number for code names. Code names is a game that comes in a box where... Uh, the original is um, a bunch of little cards that have words on them and you mm-hmm. pick 20 of them or maybe 25 and you lay them out randomly in a grid, a four by four or a five by five grid. And then uh, there are two teams. That's why it's good to have an even number. And then one person on each team is the spy master and the spy master gets to look at a special card that has a representation of a grid like the one that you've created with the word cards and the grid shows you a color for each square in the grid and there's a red team and a blue team and some of the squares are red and some of the squares are blue and that corresponds to the team some of the squares are beige that means no points for anyone one of the squares is a black civilians yes the beige ones are civilians the uh, black X is the assassin and the red and blue are spies for each different team. And the spy master compares the grid on their special card to the grid of words out in front of them. And your goal is to get your team to pick the color of your team. Mm-hmm. Um, from the words on the grid and the spy master can say one word as a clue and then a number and the number is supposed to signify what, how many cards on the grid that clue corresponds to. So if I said yellow two, then my teammates should be looking for two words on the table that have to do with yellow somehow. Yeah. And it gets tricky because if banana lemon and sun are on the table and mm-hmm. you want to say and you know you don't want them to pick the sun right um you might say yellow too yeah. but there's a risk there that they right. might say well the sun is yellow yes. which is not really but exactly the the trick uh, to being a good spy master is you want to give clues that are specifically you know that that are specific exclusively to the words that you want them to pick and no other words that might lead yes. them astray. So you have to find something, you know, linking the, the right ones, but not, you know, that won't link any of the wrong ones. Um, Codenames is really fun. And uh, there's a lot of different versions of it by now because it's very popular. Codenames, the original one, uh, begat uh, Codenames pictures, where instead of mm-hmm. a grid of words, it's a grid of pictures. Um, this version is uh, even better, in my opinion. The pictures are really weird. I won't even try to describe them. They're just really interesting uh, uh-huh. and you should look them up. And also I haven't played any of these, but now there's a bunch of branded versions of code names. So like, oh, you can that's get... interesting. I've only played the original. I was just at, um, Oh, you got to play the pictures version. Um, I was just at a game store doing Christmas shopping and I saw uh, Harry Potter code names. Oh, yeah. I know that Marvel code names also exists and uh, probably others by now. So um, we're going to wrap it up. But just a few honorable mentions. Uh, other tabletop <laughs> games that I've played. Um, Euphoria 
is one that I have a very special relationship with because even though I was not the person in our friend group to buy Euphoria, I was the person who read the rules. <laughs> and I knew that it was going to, we knew going in that it was going to be an intense game. And so I just said, give me the box, at, you know, early in the day. We'll play it later. Just give me an afternoon to study the rules. I just became the expert in Euphoria. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that game uh, is near and dear to my heart. It's it's not recommended for um, anyone who uh, doesn't like board games, I guess. Because <laughs> it's, really, <laughs> it's really intense. There's a lot of rules. Um, Cosmic Encounter is one that we've played a lot of that I don't especially like. There's supposed to be a lot of replay value to Cosmic Encounter because... Um, you uh, pick a race of alien that you're going to be at the beginning and each race uh -huh. has a special power or ability and there's a lot of aliens to choose from. So the game is can be really different from game to game. Um, Galaxy Trucker is really fun if you like arranging little tiles, kind of like um, Castles of Mad King Ludwig that I was talking about before, except instead of tiles of all shapes and sizes making a castle, in Galaxy Trucker, you have these little itty-bitty square tiles, and you're trying to design a spaceship uh, that will survive Aww. a uh, trek through uh, the treacherous cosmos. Um, mm -hmm. Captain Sonar is a game where two teams are competing submarines, um, <laughs> trying to find and destroy <laughs> one another in the ocean. <laughs> Wait, but it's not Battleship? No, it's it, the way that it is build i think is it's supposed to be like real-time battleship <laughs> where like instead of taking turns being like you know mm. i fire a missile at this place in the grid you're supposed to play it where you two teams are simultaneously like calling out directions that they're going and then uh -huh. someone is trying to map the possibilities of where they could be simultaneous it's We've only played it turn-based. You can choose to play a turn-based or simultaneous real-time, and we've only played it turn-based because the alternative <laughs> seems impossible. Um, okay, yeah, I think I've run through everything, and we're pushing up against 90 minutes, which I think should be the upper limit for these podcasts. And I do yes, mean upper sure. limit. Um, yes. So sorry for going on and on. Any um, final thoughts or questions before we close it out? One final thought, uh, which is a, a reversal. Um, Kenny's been playing Witcher 3. Have you played mm -hmm. this? I, I and there's a game Witcher 3, but I'm familiar. Okay. So there's a game in that, a card game called Gwent. Yes. And one of the sort of many side quests you can do is playing Gwent, but also collecting these special Gwent cards. Mm -hmm. Um uh, so, like, certain particular um, NPCs have, like, really nice Gwent cards. Kenny, and this is one of these things that Kenny will get on to play Witcher 3 only to play Gwent. <laughs> but they've actually now made this card game that they yeah. made up for a video game and made it a physical game, which I right. just think is um, a delight and also goes to show that um, game design, I think, really does translate between digital and physical mediums mm -hmm. um, if it's good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would love to talk more about that in a future episode, but we're out of time. Thanks for listening to Smug Buds. Liz, thank you for listening to me and indulging me and in all of this rambling about these games. 
Yes, of course. Now, Goslings. Into our little Goslings. Yes. I hope you play. I hope you play some of these. Yes, play some games. Play code names. Um, you know, if you're getting, you know, by the time you're listening to this, the holidays have probably passed, but they will come around again. That's how years work. Um, play code names. <laughs> we can only hope. Yeah, play code names, especially with your family, and if your friends are nerdy, play Seven Wonders with them, uh, and have fun. I hope. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye, Liz. Bye, Goslings. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at YoungestOfOne, and his website is WilliamHoffacker.com. You can find Liz at Exclamate on Instagram, at Exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, ElizabethDeannaMorrisLakes.com. Our website is SmugBuds.com, and the podcast is at SmugBuds on Twitter and Instagram.